Welcome to the Mastery Podcast with your host, Mark Coles. I have dedicated the last 15 years as a fitness professional to mastering my mind, my craft, and my business. It is my passion and mission to help each of you to do the same. Over the coming episodes, I will be providing you with all the necessary tools to be able to take full control of your career and your life. I'm really looking forward to going on this very exciting journey with you. So let's get started. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Mastery Podcast. It's been a little while since I've had a guest on to the show, and uh, I'm delighted to be joined today by um, a colleague of mine. Um, and also, Dan uh, is a client of mine, but he's also a fellow coach like everybody on the Mastery Podcast, or everybody who listens. So I wanted to, to bring Dan Lawrence onto the show. Dan, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Mark. Firstly, thank you for having me on. I'm an avid listener of the podcast, so it's uh, great to be featuring on this with you. Well, Dan, firstly, you and I came into, uh, we kind of met each other in 2015 when you came to Nottingham for our practical coaching weekend. And since then, uh, I've followed you. I know you. We've worked together. Um, and I wanted to get you on the podcast for the very simple reason that, one, I have a lot of respect for what you do. Two, you've been in the industry a long time. And three, you're still doing it. And one of the most important things, as you all know on the Mastery Podcast, is I like to interview people that have done their time and have got incredibly valuable lessons to share with you all. And I promise you that if you guys just put your stuff down or jump on a treadmill or get in the car because for the rest of this podcast, you're going to hear somebody who's incredibly inspiring um, and in, in, their, in his field, incredibly experienced. And we're going to give you, Dan's going to give you a lot of insight into kind of what's it, what it's taken to get him to where he is today. So Dan, the, the kind of, I'd love to start, you know, you, you know, from listening to the podcast that I just love great conversations um, and uh, this will be no different. But to just give everybody who tunes into the Mastery Podcast uh, an idea of uh, you and how long you've been in the industry and kind of where it all really started for you. Firstly, thank you for your kind words there, Mark. So I've been a coach for 14 years and I started when I was a young pup at 18. So you do the maths. And That's awesome. Yeah, I started in the private sector with Virgin Active. I uh, worked at a couple of clubs there. In October of nine, we launched Virgin Active Twickenham, which is their first flagship club of 10 years, I believe. And uh, yeah, that was a, a good kind of entry level to the fitness industry, I suppose. I, I realised early on that, you know, this was an area that I, I was passionate about. I didn't know right away. I'm not going to, you know, sit here now and say, the first time I went on the gym floor, I knew that was my purpose and that was my mission. It did take time. I, like I said, I was 18. I was a pup then. But um, over the course of those few first few years, I, I did realise that this was my calling and this was my passion. So I uh, worked at Virgin Active uh, originally in Staines for a good few years. Then, as mentioned, October 09, we launched Virgin Active Twickenham. Picked up a few awards in that time. Personal trainer of the year. Uh, I think I got that three or four occasions. And uh, that was out of two and a half thousand trainers nationwide. So that, that was cool. And then, you know, I realized 
I wanted to go out and do my own thing. And Virgin Active Twickenham gave me a little bit of exposure to athletes. And I then, you know, did a bit of research into that. Uh, went on numerous courses, accreditation, certifications, and started working in amateur boxing, which was one of my passions. Uh, to flip it back around, you know, why did I get into coaching is, in essence, a failed athlete like most. So I played rugby for London Irish up until under 15. So I played football, moderate standard. I, I got up to county level, under 18s at Harrow Borough, and that was about it. And, uh, and boxing. So they were my passions. And, you know, if I look back, they probably gave me some direction, uh, some purpose and some discipline. And uh, yeah, and then launched my own, my own company. And um, yeah, there's, so I'm now, one of my roles is head of performance at Matchroom Boxing. I'm, I'm probably missing a few steps in the process here, but um, worked with and blessed to work with some incredible athletes through this time uh, across a multitude of sports, primarily boxing now because of that role. I've worked in with premiership footballers, uh, golf, tennis, uh, had the pleasure of working with an NFL Super Bowl winner. So, uh, yeah, broad spectrum, but really my passion is is with the fighters and uh, I really love that role. That's amazing. I mean, and also throughout your time as a coach um, and your work in, in sport, it's brought you the opportunity to work with some pretty high net worth individuals as well and, and celebrities. And I think we'll, um, we'll touch on that as we get further onto the podcast. But for those of you listening to today, um, that's an idea of, of kind of, Dan's journey and, and there's going to be many of you that are thinking first and foremost is a career as a personal trainer something that I can look forward to you know many of you are thinking nowadays you know I'll do it for a certain amount of time I'll look for something else but you know Dan like everybody listening to the podcast and very similarly to me Dan you know you and I both started charging a certain amount of money and are now charging a lot more money um, further down the line but you talked about purpose and mission you know, I think that there's a, um, an overemphasis on the necessity sometimes in the early stages of your career to just really, really deeply find that deep purpose. And I think ultimately the first purpose to discuss really is why you started being a trainer. And I'd love to know why that you said you got involved in sport, you moved into being a coach, but that's why a lot of people start for you was the main thing just wanting to be a trainer? I think for me, and I'm sure you've heard this many a time, Mark, but you've known me long enough to know there's no BS with this, that it was to help people. I'm, I love outcome-led programming. I love reaching outcomes, setting outcomes, reverse engineering the process, and then assisting someone, whether that be an elite athlete or a general population client, in reaching that specific outcome. So I'm not going to say I just loved it and wanted to be a trainer. I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people reach an outcome. So, uh, yeah, being a trainer was a natural way of doing it. And then, like I say, at the time, I was 18 years old and I got into this. I didn't really know anything else. And mm -hmm. I knew I loved sport. I knew I loved training. I was identifying my own standards and values throughout that, that point. I, funny enough, I spoke to a coach the other day about this. I, um, he's relatively new to the industry. He often bounced a few ideas across uh, on Instagram. Lovely chat, great energy. And um, I said, look, I've been doing this for 14 years, but only over the past, however many years, have I really found my calling and my direction and knowing my audience and demographics and then my language and everything is spoken towards that. Because he said, oh, I feel a bit lost. I said, look, just take your time, identify your core values. Something we say, Mark, is your values and vision drive every decision. Yeah, okay. So once you have your values in place, then you can start identifying, you know, your audience, your demographic, and then how you communicate with that audience. I said, do not stress right now. You're still finding your feet. He's been in the industry about 
11 months. So, uh, so I said, don't become overwhelmed because of that. So, um, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We, we were talking about it at M10 the other day. Um, you know, and you know Dan uh, at M10. We were talking about it as a team. You know, in the early days as a trainer, um, you you don't deliberately get into the industry straight away unless you come from kind of like bodybuilding or something like that and go, I desperately want to work with a particular type of the market. Um, you've got to find where you fit, who you fit well with, what type of audience you work well with, build your reputation a little bit. Um, but for you in those early days as a coach working in the Virgin gyms, what was it that kind of caught your eye about coaching as a, as a profession? Where, where did you start to, what part of it did you really start to enjoy the most? Having influence and being able to change people's lives. I think, you know, coaches, coaches, trainers, whatever we call ourselves, I believe a coach coaches someone through a process to, to a specific outcome. I believe a trainer can just kind of rock up and do their thing. And for me, you know, I don't want to say I've been, I, I've been a trainer, but now, you know, I'm a coach and you have to identify that. So I think, you know, it's, it, again, it starts with your standards, Mark. You've, you've got to, you've got to kind of know what, what you're trying to achieve. And my, my big one is just trying to help people. That's, that, that's what gets me going. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. People investing in me to know I can assist them throughout the journey. So, yeah. Well, in the early days, I mean, you identified some very fundamental standards. And I see this, you know, I, I you know, you, you'll see in athletes that you coach now that are relatively young, but they've got standards that are there. Mm. As a personal trainer, you know, what do you think in the early days, in, in business, just in general, someone that's looking to excel themselves, you know, what are some of the fundamental standards that you think you identified to yourself that got you those awards as a virgin trainer? Mm. You know, what is it that you think the Virgin identified in you that said, we want him to help us open up these gyms? Because, you know, we are, what we're doing on this episode today is we're looking at this, you know, your 14-year career, and there's a pattern. And what we want to try and get out of this episode, and we will do as we go through this, is there was a very clear pattern. And we've got a lot of people that want to, want to be something, but what they do on a day-to-day -day basis does not match the thing that they say they want to be. So from, from a very young age as an 18, 19 year old trainer, you were clearly doing things and identified standards within yourself that was recognized by trainers, you know, the, 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 the senior coaching staff at Virgin. You know, what was that? Yeah, don't, don't just see it as a job. You know, I don't just rock up for a paycheck. You've got to go in there and, and, and try and influence people and see it as a profession. So the standards for me, you know, professionalism is, is probably my biggest standard. It's something yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm big on my reputation and how, I, how I'm perceived. So you've got to be professional. If you want to be taken seriously and you want to reach outcomes, you want someone to buy into your methods to reach these outcomes, you know, that comes from looking at yourself. If you're turning up and, you know, poor posture, you're not dressing correctly, you're not articulating yourself in the correct manner, you're not communicating yourself in the correct manner. You know, these things will, in essence, lead to negative outcomes. It's going to be a suboptimal strategy to reach an outcome. Why is someone going to respect you if you're, coming across in those manners it, you know these are very simple small things and completely controllable things that anyone can do mm. so at, at any level across the coaching journey so um yeah i think being professional and you know punctuality respect and being having a growth mindset always trying to get better and uh, you know personal development is something something huge for me mark and i know you're, you're huge on it as well yeah, yeah, yeah. investing in yourself throughout the course of the journey and what about i mean you i mean i know Correct me if I'm wrong, but Virgin have always had quite a good educational route for coaches within their 
um, within their business model. And I think in the early days of being a trainer, having a rounded, grounded, a, a rounded kind of approach to your own learning and education, what was your, you know, I, I know you're somebody that loves your education, but there's a lot of coaches out there who kind of do the bare minimum. You know, when you hit those standards in terms of professionalism and, and presentation and your own personal growth and development, but also to, towards your education, you know, in those early days, none of us are skilled. You know, we are, we're new, we're wet behind the ears. What was your, what was your approach to your own kind of education in those days? Yeah, so Virgin, they were pretty good back then. <laughs> Struggling to remember it so long ago, to be quite frank. But yeah, they were good. They had a lot of in-house education going on. I remember Michelle Delcourt. I don't know if you remember his name. Canadian. Oh, yeah. PT on the net. PT on the yeah, net. Yeah, there you go. And the Viper. I can't really see you, Mark, doing some uh, frontal plane lunges with the Viper in a bit of rotation. But anyway, um, oh, so, so they, did have, they did have the odds, you know, good uh, practitioner, respected practitioner in, and they obviously did in-house courses as well. But, you know, that, you use the word bare minimum, that would be me settling for the bare minimum. I didn't. You know, I went out and I travelled the world. I did numerous certifications and courses. And that's something that really inspired me. And flipping it back around to you saying about, you know, high net worth individuals charging more, et cetera, then I think the coaches, they've got to see that they see the connection between, okay, if you want to increase your rates from the monetary aspect, yeah. what is going to feed into that and what is going to determine that? And, you know, you're becoming a better, a better human and a better coach is fundamentally what's going to allow you to reach that end outcome there. Mm. So grow, you know, Growing and going on courses is is going to be one of those factors that will allow you to reach the outcome. And even for coaches that aren't doing courses, I mean, you know, as a young as a young trainer, education mm. must have made a huge impact in your own self confidence because it just gives you the ability to answer more challenges and problems that your clients are facing, right? Massively, Mark. And to be brutally honest, you know, when I was in the early stages of my career, and I still have these some of these traits now, is I was very introverted and. Uh, you know, as, as you were, you're well aware in the coaching space, you, you need to you need to kind of get out there. And uh, it's very much even more so now. It's such a, a dog eat dog world out there. There's so many coaches. You have to set yourself apart from the rest. And I wasn't that guy. I was very introverted. So I had to almost learn on on the fly, so to speak, and try and take some of those things I'd learned from from the sporting setting, from the discipline, and then really start molding it a slightly different personality. And it's something I I still, even now at 32 years old, I still am trying to get better. You know, it's uh, it's, it's a never-ending process and journey. But early on, without doubt, it was kind of finding my feet and finding myself, to be quite frank. And just but also, go on. sorry, sorry, on on that subject as well. You know, if you are early on in, in your career and you're not earning good amounts of money, don't use that as an excuse to not have that growth mindset and trying to continue to learn and grow. Because there's numerous resources out there to do that. You don't have to, you know, travel Europe and go on these certifications and courses. Podcast being one, a free resource. You know, there's loads of things available online, YouTube videos. So I think, again, you've just got to connect. Okay, if you want to increase your earning potential, if you want to increase your knowledge, it all for me goes back to adding value. And if you add value and become a better coach to add value, then that fundamentally is, is what's going to allow you to reach that outcome. And, and at the end of the day, the value, people are forever saying, I'm struggling to find where I add value. And anyone who's got a deep, you know, if you have a conversation with somebody and you're, you're very unengaged, you know, 
if you and I are having a conversation, we've both got a lot of depth to the conversation and we'd probably end up, which we do when we speak on the phone and go, we both got value from that conversation. That's the kind of meaning of value. And if a client has a training session that's a workout, there is no value because you've added nothing above and beyond. So I'm sure from going on courses, you know, for you, when you started to travel more or do more, and in now's climate, you know, especially with COVID, people can study online, filling the gaps with where we perceive there be not enough value increases that perceived value of the of the hourly rate that you charge of the training session that you do and surely as an introverted person you would have must have noticed your self-confidence with more knowledge climb without doubt absolutely you know as from personality traits completely changed completely shifted you know still have the moments i still like my own time my own space i rarely go out much and socialize but you know in a setting of coaching absolutely without doubt those traits improved um immensely for sure yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I, I just think, you know, using your experience and your wisdom from, from coaching, you know, piecing together the standards that you do you set for yourself and then having the standard of continual growth in terms of your knowledge, piece those two things together, you'll get a byproduct of increased self-confidence. And then as a byproduct of that, people will see that increase in self-confidence. And that in itself breeds referrals, it, it, it breeds more conversations about you and people start to see this because and this was a question I kind of had for you that, that I, I didn't say I was going to ask you, but, you know, do you believe that you can, you know, you look at some coaches who are naturally, as you said, quite introverted, pretty low in self-confidence. If we look at the traits as an engaged, high-value coach, what would you think are some of the things that you should work on, not just your standards, but just the traits of a successful coach. You used the words earlier there, Mark, above and beyond. And that's something I hold true as my motto. Don't see this as an hour. Don't see this as I'm charging X for this hour. I only coach two days in central London at the moment. And I have, you know, people who pay a lot of money for my services. Do I believe I'm worth it? Absolutely. Because I go above and beyond for those individuals. It's never just an hour. There's constant interaction outside of the sessions. They utilize the apps that we've got from a programming point of view and all of the other means of improving this client's journey so we reach the outcomes. So, yeah, just, um, just go above and beyond. Just do more. Don't see this as just an hour. This is a profession, you know? Yeah, that's so true. Now, the, kind of the, the, real, the real heart of this conversation that I want to get into, and I really did want to start with just delving into a bit of your core values when you first started and your standards, but your career has gone from being a PT into developing a strength, a strength and condition model. And where, where we kind of, if you, if you think guys listening to this episode right now, how has Dan got to where he's at today? That's where I really want to get to with this because, you know, Dan is incredibly successful earning a great deal uh, of revenue from what he's doing. Um, very successful, great reputation. But Dan, let's say we've got a trainer right now who's working in a commercial gym, right? And he has a vision over the next five to 10 years, 10 years of having, you know, some celebrity clients, some high net worth clients. And there are some coaches I know, um, I even put on my story the other day and someone said, you know, how does, how does someone get into coaching boxing? How did everything evolve for you? And how, how, how did the kind of the, the virgin days really mold and shape you into kind of where you are today? I 
always knew where I wanted to go in the form of very early on, I was exposed to uh, like the law of attraction, the secret, which I'm sure we've all read. You know, I worked with an NLP practitioner who was a client who was paying me for my services. It without doubt should have been the other way around. I was just a sponge and absorbed. I had to so say, much I had to say. Honestly, it's incredible. <laughs> I then had another coach in the Virgin days. He uh, lent me a Tony Robbins. Uh, I think it was the power of now or I don't know what yeah, it was yeah, called yeah, at the yeah. time um six cd disc set that I had in the car so all throughout this period I was just absorbing this information of kind of growth mindset and uh alongside you know delivering and putting it into action delivering a service which you know I look back now and I'm <laughs> it wasn't a good enough service but you know it was part of the process and all of that feeds into where I'm currently at now I, I did have standards then I did have values I now without doubt know those and uh, I, I wholeheartedly know those and abide by those on a day-to-day -day basis um, trust communication and respect are three core values that I ask for for any of my athletes or clients um, you know if we can be the best of friends but if any of those are broken we then need to have a conversation about that if we're going to continue our journey could I could I stop on that for a second because awkward conversations for a lot of coaches um, and I am a big believer in this I and mean, we, we have an assessment room at M10 and when that line's crossed, or when I feel that I'm not in control, there was always, can we have a word? And the guys at M10 do this. In fact, some of the younger coaches, when they join, we talk about, you need an awkward conversation. So this is a really important point for us to get. You mentioned that, you know, when there's lines crossed or when there's problems that we need to discuss, you don't let the relationship drift. You pull that back in line, right? Absolutely. But that, if we flip it back round, can only come from your own core values as a practitioner. Yes. Yes. Unless you know those, then how, how is anyone else going to know them? Yep. So you have to set your stall out early with this and whether you articulate that to the client in an initial onboarding consultation or however you, you may do this. But I do. People know my standards and values anyway. If they're getting involved with it, I'll be honest, there's a stringent vetting process. I don't take on anyone these days. It has to be, you know, it's not a one-way street. It has to work for both parties to reach the outcome. So they are very much aware as to what they're getting into um, when we start this journey. So as soon as they start deviating away from that, or like you say, if you have to take them into the room at M10, then that conversation's there and the conversation needs to be had, but they also need to listen to that conversation because you've addressed that and made that clear from the get-go. What I will say, Mark, is if you haven't made that clear from the get-go, you then have no leg to stand on later down the journey when the client isn't pulling their weight. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's, it's like have a dog, don't teach it to not pee in the house, and then get crossed three weeks down the line when all it's doing is peeing in the house. You know, <laughs> at, the end, at the end of the day, you know, you've got to teach. Your, your clients need to know the standards yeah. and also need to have them reinforced to maintain a, a kind of leadership responsibility. I mean, leadership, I know for you, uh, having worked with athletes myself, poof, if you don't have that, you know, they're going to walk all over you. Um, but before we kind of get into the athletic aspect of it, there was clearly this, this you know, a lot of coaches work in personal training and, and, and they're, they're doing well in their health clubs. And then this gets to this point, Dan, that you feel that you're ready to go on your own. What happened between Virgin and going on your own and kind of, you know, talking to coaches that are thinking of making that switch? What what was that, that switch all about for you? I'd known for a while. It, it did take me a while. I didn't just, you know, I think any coach working in a private sector, I don't know what they charge these days. Let's say at the time it might have been 
60 pounds per client, 50 pounds per client, whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. And the coach may have been getting, you know, I was on the top tier there, 25 quid a session at the very, very best. Well, I, you know, not the best with numbers, but I always knew that that wasn't the most advantageous um, package for me, the coach. So I was having to churn out a very high volume of sessions to earn a half decent wage, you know, but I knew I wanted, I had goals, aspirations. I wanted to lead a certain lifestyle. You know, was that type of financial package and salary aligned with that? Maybe at the time, but no, not moving forwards. And I had to be aware of that. And, you know, it was initially hard, Mark. I didn't just, as I say, say, oh, saw this, I'm leaving, because I, I was one of the top trainers there. I was, you know, one of the top earners there as well. So there's an element of risk. But as we say, and as I say with my athletes now, risk with risk comes reward. And yeah, yeah. I uh, I went to went away and I started you know contractually maybe i shouldn't say this but started with a few clients should we say um (laughs) no what have i done (laughs) you're coming for me now but uh but yeah you you know the drill so i started with some of that and then yeah just built from there word of mouth i i knew my product mark and yeah i backed myself and yeah so did you were you you training people from home (laughs) yeah i did the hard yards but so i was i was thinking about this the other day actually um i was I, i i Bought a new car, I bought a Mini Cooper S Clubman, which is like the oh. minivan at the time. Yeah, logoed it on the side, uh, like Dan Lawrence training, whatever it was. It, it looked all right. Uh, had a load of weights in the back of it. Got someone to build this. Because I, I realised very early on after a week of having the car that every time I turned the corner, the weights were nearly going through the window. So someone built something to, to hold the weights in the boot. And yeah, I was going to like seven in the morning in the park, pissing down rain. Um, but did that for a while. And uh, at that point, I then saw that, okay, I'm now earning all the money. There's no rental to a gym. Yeah. My rates have gone up anyway, because yeah. I'm working with a fewer amount of individuals. So the service level when offering goes up, because that was the concern mark as well, is the service that I was delivering it when back in VA days wasn't aligned with my core beliefs and values, because I was having to churn out such a high volume of sessions. Yeah. I couldn't. Quality, couldn't quality deliver, goes down, right? It had, to, it had to get diluted. I couldn't deliver the service I wanted to do. So I then took a smaller amount of individuals, delivered greater service, increased the fee, but then didn't have the rental fee of a gym and also didn't have uh, you know, them taking a, a percentage of, of the money as well. So, um, okay. so yeah, that works really well. So you, you went from, um, obviously, I would say to a degree for a lot of co- coaches, the comfort with clients, and then you go in parks and working with people. I mean, how, how did you deal with the marketing aspect of getting new clients? I mean, surely some came to the end of their coaching relationship. I mean, did you, were you, was it your standards and systems and processes that kept clients or were you constantly having more referrals? The former, actually. Retention was a big thing for me. I knew that it couldn't be a revolving door because I didn't have the audience there like it's a private sector facility. Yeah. So retention is something I've always been, been, you know, I deeply got upset if I was to lose a client, Mark, and yeah. it wouldn't happen, um, yeah. you know. It, so like, let's say I lost a client, I, I don't know, but let's put this out there. Yeah, let's say I lost a client a quarter or, you know, so it was literally wasn't happening. So um, my goal was to deliver a great level of service and to reach a specific goal with that client. So um, I probably worked even harder to do so because I knew that I then had to, you know, at the time, I don't even think people did the whole SEO and the ads and all that. It certainly wasn't Instagram or anything like that, you know. So, um, but, yeah. but, but, but do you know what? The, the, the marketing nowadays makes it, the marketing strategies being taught focuses so much on leads. 
and, and I'll be honest with you, you know, the guys at M10, the retention rates are so high. Mm. You know, we can, we can bring on new clients because the guys keep their clients for so long. Mm. And, and a personal training, you, look, you know, a lot of online coaches are getting, you know, eight, nine weeks out of a client, then they're off. You know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day who's, you know, clients 10 years. Oh, and, and, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's like, so this is really interesting because you worked really hard for retention. What do you think were some of the fundamental things that kept your clients with you? Because a lot of PTs, they'll be saying, I, I struggle to retain my clients. What was it that you did? I think energy and professionalism are big things for me. I try and make a positive influence on anyone that I meet. I take pride, almost Dragon's Den style, in, you know, if I'm meeting someone, uh, I'm almost presenting myself to them and I don't want anyone. I've always had a golden rule mark. No one can say a bad word about my business. And if they are, they don't know my business because I've done everything I can and in my power to influence people in a positive way. So every single session I would turn up and I would turn up with energy, positive energy. And uh, yeah, that, that was always a motto of mine and still is without doubt. Yeah, no, no I mean, I, I, I recorded the, the audio version of my book this week and I got a little segment from it. I put it on my socials earlier and I was just saying, you know, no matter what time of the day it is, you've got to give everything to every single client. And I think that, you know, people get very sloppy with their training sessions, mm. whether it's seven o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock at night. You know, as you just said, you've got to give absolutely everything. Now, there, there must have come a time, you know, you were working in people's homes. And now, I mean, now we're talking, Dan, you know, you're working in really great homes. Um, you're working in pretty smart facility, private facilities in central London. Bridge the gap for us. Pissing it down in rain in the in the park, dri driving your your Del Boy Del Trotters. Uh, <laughs> was it yellow? Was it, was it a Robin? Yeah, Thankfully, it wasn't yellow. <laughs> but we've got this. We've got this. You know, park coach, which is doing an incredible job. And now we've got you in Mayfair, working at some of the top gyms. You know, in Central London. Um, bridge this gap to me, because there has yeah. to come a point. You know, for a coach that's. You know, I mean. I, I, I was I was charging a lot of money for being in Nottingham with people. My inquiries were very, very high. But there was a bridge. There is a bridge between, you know, coaching that general population client who isn't prepared to pay a high lot of money and then the people that, that are and people are reaching out to you and saying, I only want you and I need you at the time when I need you. I think on that subject, Mark, I'll just say I only coached two people in the park. I was still coaching at facilities in and around the area that I lived in. Great. Um, so I live in Teddington. So but it made, made, it made it sound like you were just you yeah, got yeah, laid yeah. out <laughs> on the next, next, next. But you, you were working out of different Literally. facilities and yes. having an awning out the back of your Mini Cooper. Uh, exactly that, exactly that. So, yeah, no, I saw a couple of people externally in a park in the morning and uh, I was then, yeah, uh, in the shelter of a normal kind of facility in and around the area. And that was hard. And, Mark, I'll add to that. It was hard when I left the private sector facility to actually source another facility to coach people in a one-on-one -on -one capacity. So that was hard in its own right at the time. I think now there's a lot more facilities available for that, but uh, there's, there's one I use in town where we can pay per hour, but that was hard as well. So I did that. I then coached at um, another facility near me, a CrossFit, kind of CrossFit was starting to, to open up and I, I knew the coach there from Virgin Active Days started coaching at that facility, then started working with a lot of amateur fighters. Um, you know, we got some great results and 
to be honest, Mark, I'm going to tell you how it is. You know, boxing is my passion, but they made me look very good because they'd never had any exposure to any form of strength conditioning. And yeah. my strength conditioning knowledge at that point was, let's be fair, me- mediocre at best. Yeah. Um, and it's evolved over the years. But I knew I could still have an influence on these, uh, especially youth athletes, where they adapt to, they, if they look at a weight, they get some form of adaptation. So um, they made so me how, look how very... How did you make the jump from, from, you know, I say jump now, I mean, you're still training people, um, still training kind of, general population clients even though high net worth but how did you go from working with a lot of different clients different gyms parks to 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 moving into the snc field yeah the exposure initially actually was at virgin actually twickenham there was a lot of the england rugby boys were in there initially and uh, that then sparked the interest i then went away and you know went on a number of number of courses and uh, realized that that was an area that i really wanted to get into it was where my passion was as well. You know, general population clients are great and I still work with a few now. But um, for me, the athletes, they, you never have to ask them to work harder, though they can work smarter. Yeah. So there was just a huge alignment with what I represented as a practitioner and what they were all about. Um, so yeah, went away, did all my studies and then went, uh, started coaching these these youth boxers. Um, very good youth boxers actually boxed at Repton, which is a very good uh, boxing club in East London. And uh, then they went on to just continually win. They were winning and winning and uh, they became national champions. They represented Great Britain. They represented England. They became youth, youth amateur champions. So um, trained ABA champions, the amateur boxing, like the biggest prize in amateur boxing. So started really churning out a high volume of winners. And by the way, this is over like a three-year period, Mark. You know, this isn't just, uh, I've done it for a couple of weeks. I then got a big break. You know, I was putting out positive energy. I was continuing doing what I was doing. And then I worked with George Groves. So I worked with George for three and a half years. Uh, George is now a friend of mine. And, um, you know, I, I was a strength position coach with him, traveled the world, went to Big Bear in San Bernardino Mountains, did a couple of high altitude training camps, had some some very high points, but also some incredible low points. Um, you know, he fought in the biggest fight in British boxing history in front of 80,000 people. And I can say it now, he doesn't mind, he got knocked out, you know, he lost. And that was a very low point for obviously him, but for myself as well. So, you know, it hasn't been a linear path for me, Mark. Um, it's, uh, but I think with adversity and setbacks comes uh, comes growth as well. Of course, of course, and that is an interesting thing. When I actually got involved in in, in SNC for quite a while, um, just talk to me about your the, the kind of financial reimbursement because when you've been working with high, higher net worth individuals, whether it's at homes and people mm. in facilities, as a personal t- trainer, you would have been charging over seventy, eighty an hour, right? Um, I'm sure. And then comes working with amateur boxers who are not yeah, going to be paying that type of money. How did mm. you then look at that and go, well, you know, am I going to sacrifice a certain amount of income? Were you, were you training these boxers for free? How did, how did all that kind of transition work? Yeah, I wasn't working with them for, for free. Um, I'd, at the time, Mark, I wasn't, I wasn't charging high amounts of money for general population clients anyway. I think it was around 50, 60 pounds. Okay. Uh, boxers, I'd get a couple of them in at the same time. So a couple of lads from Repton. And, Split the money? Split the money, you know, that works really well, building up my experience in the process. So, no, I was yeah. getting slightly less, but, you know, similar sorts of money there. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was a real passion of mine. So, I, I was happy to take a little bit less and look at look at it on a, you know, instead of looking at it on a micro, look at it on a macro level and, and see the bigger picture, which, which I evidently did. You know? I, I did that exactly the same with the hockey guys. I, 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 I split my hourly rate between four of them. 
um, and they all work together in the gym. You, you got what you paid, but you were loving what you were doing at the time. And this was interesting for you, really, because you've been taking, you know, you, you, you're coaching your, your kind of gen pop clients. You then start getting into the boxing. George then does his huge fight. This then must have moved quite nicely into exposure for you to work with in, in some other areas. How, how, did, how did everything unfold from there? Yeah, definitely. It was, you know, look, this didn't happen overnight, Mark. This was a, this was a process. And as we've said, 14 years uh, in the industry. So there was, you know, I worked with George for three and a half years. Early on in that, I was writing for, I think I was a writer for Women's Fitness Magazine, Men's Health Magazine. So I was doing all of that anyway. I was doing a lot of writing. Um, did definitely get more exposure when working with George and, uh, you know, kind of went with that. And um, I think, with so I, I suppose what I should explain is how did I get from you know coaching these general population clients and these amateur yeah. fighters to working with George to then being in you know the heart of London in Mayfair, and I realised again kind of flipping it back around to kind of law of attraction the secret I knew I was good at what I did I knew the energy I put out there but I also knew that I'd hit the ceiling in my current location, cool. so. I then thought, well, how can I reach? I know I'm good at what I do, but how can I reach the audience that I think I can influence yeah. and can now pay me a rate that I feel I'm worth yeah. and deserving of? Well, I now need to take, take a plunge, bite the bullet, look again at the bigger picture on a macro level. And this is where BXR came about. So BXR in the heart of Marleybone, Anthony Joshua's got an affiliation with it. I got approached by um, practitioner Doug Tannehill. I got recommended through Rob Madden, who's Anthony Joshua's physio. Um, we've been on comms. It links back around what I'm going to tie in here and the gel that kind of molds it all together is your network is your net worth. You know, you have to surround yourself with elite practitioners. You have to add value and you have to be around the table with these individuals and then doors open. And I, I did that, you know, I built my network up, um, be a good person, add value, and then doors will open. And, and that's in essence what happened. Rob touched out, uh, reached out to Doug Tannehill, now a very good friend of mine, an osteopath. We launched BXR uh, 2017, 2018, January, I believe. And um, and then I was I was in. I took a pay cut initially, you know, for my price point per hour, but I saw the bigger picture. I saw, you know, what was going to be, uh, you know, unfolding moving forwards. Therefore, a great nugget for coaches is if you're not knocking on that door, if you're not doing your bit to get to know other people, you know, you and I share something in common, you know, you got to know pro fighters, you got writing for magazines, you know, and this was not coincidental. You know, you were doing a great job with these, these boxers. And then there, you know, it was the George opportunity came about. How you articulated yourself and presented yourself would have clearly made George talk to other people about the coach and the trainer that he's got that allowed you to be over with him all the way through. And then the networks and a lot of trainers are not thinking, you know, if I want to live in London, if I want to move, if I want to make this jump, what doors am I knocking on? And you go back to values and standards. And as we've got down here, consistency breeds opportunity. You were a consistent professional, high standard, high delivery of your practice and your craft. And in that, these opportunities come. So I think a lot of people look for the opportunities, but you actually weren't looking for the opportunities. You were more focused on giving, delivering the value and the service and the opportunities come as a byproduct, but you also put yourself in the right environments. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't, don't like take your eye off the prize. I think a lot of people do this. They think, oh, you know, 
they see this this on social media. Oh, this person's doing this. This person's doing that. Why am I not getting these opportunities? Yes, exactly. Control the controllables. Put the blinkers on, as Jimmy Iovine says, and the defiant ones. Forget what's going on left to right. Just focus on the end outcome. Again, your values and vision drive every decision. Identify where you want to go and then keep going at it. Forget about everyone else, especially in a world of social media these days where there's so many distractions. Like, just get rid of all negativity and focus on yourself because we spoke about the monetary aspect, Mark, but the money's never been the thing for me. The adding value has. The money's been a byproduct of the value and service offering that I can bring to change people's lives. That's what drives me. And do you know what? You, you, you've touched on this a few times on the call. We had a great friend of mine, Jordan Peters, on the podcast quite a while ago talking about developing a brand. And Jordan said the same thing. All he's, all he's cared about is being the best bodybuilder and doing exactly what he does. He wasn't focused on the money. And the byproduct was a reputation and a brand that's now known all over the country. And as a strength and conditioning coach, you're known all across the country, across the world from strength and conditioning coaches for the work that you're doing with elite athletes. And it's no coincidence that opportunities uh, can be slightly overwhelming at times for you now. And you think to yourself, what have I done? And ultimately, if you had been expecting these opportunities in year six and year seven, you'd be very unfulfilled. And I think a lot of people at year three, four, five as a coach are becoming very unhappy because they're expecting to have the coaches, the client, the clients, the celebrity, all, all the sort of things that they want, or even the high net worth clients. But you're talking 14 years. You know, you remember the book Matthew Syed, the book Bounce, you know, he talks about this 10-year, 10-year kind of expertise level. You know, and by no means are either of us saying, oh yeah, expert at what I do. But there's one thing you've done consistently for 10 years minimum, which is been great at what you do, studied what you do, get great results for people, and that will do all its talking, you know? I think on that subject as well, you know, Malcolm Gladwell and Outliers, I know it's been debunked of late with the whole 10,000 hours rule. And in essence, it's, you know, it's consistent application of sound principles. You've got consistency is key. What do we tell our clients? You know, it's not about that one crazy workout that they had. It's about continually applying a stressor over time and progressing that stressor to, to elicit the positive adaptations. You know, so same thing applies with a coach trying to develop their journey. You know, don't, yes, you've got to be all in, but it's a process of consistent act, uh, application. Um, so, Would you know that whilst I, as you know, talk about business and marketing strategies, the digital world, the digital era, the way of building your reputation and a brand, um, but we can't, we can't create a false, a, a fake reputation. We can't rush reputation. Reputation is ultimately what people say and think about us. And that, as you said, is, is built over time. Mm. And I think that the wonderful thing about having you discuss your journey with us today is reinforcing to people that, I mean, I'm sure you've loved every part of your journey so far and would do the whole thing again. I think on that, Mark, I have, though hand on heart, I'm guilty of not reflecting enough. I just, I take everything in my stride and I just keep moving forwards. I'm continually, I use the Jimmy Iovine blinkers on that. I am continually dialed in and reaching, you know, trying to reach these outcomes. Every day I try and optimize and maximize my day. But one thing I could do better would be to take five minutes, get out of my bubble, look back and say, yeah, well, not in an egotistical way, but pat yourself on the back and say, do you know what? Well done. 
Um, you know, they talk. Uh, Tim Grover talks about it in Relentless. And he he's about Michael Jordan. They, they, he didn't really reflect. He just, okay, I've won that now. On to the next one. And actually, you know, when it's all said and done, you look back. It's like I think you've got to enjoy the process a little bit more. And I do enjoy it. And by the way, Mark, I never take where, what I've achieved for granted. I, I never expect what I've achieved. I still now think, wow, that you know, it's crazy. These opportunities keep presenting themselves. But I never get over, overawed by it all. I just take it in my stride. And regardless of whether they are a world champion athlete or a CEO of a, a global brand or company, I don't care because they're just humans and they're humans that I can influence and have impact on. And I know the value that I can bring. And never once have you gone out and said, I am going to train celebrities. I am going to train high net worth individuals. What are your thoughts on that? Because a lot of people become very unfulfilled. It's like, listen, I just want to work with high, high net worth individuals. And I'm going, to, I'm going to target everything at those high net worth individuals. These people don't look for you on Instagram. Right? <laughs> no, certainly I mean, not. How, they're, they're... Just, just tell me, how does that kind of Mayfair network mm. work? Because everybody's got this idea of, if I put on my Instagram bio that I work with high net worth individuals, yeah they'll find me by looking at my posts. How, how does that kind of the high, I mean, we're talking big, big markets, but how do all these people find you? you've worked with incredible celebrities? You know, did they find you through a, through a, a, a hashtag that you used on Instagram? Yeah, I use a hashtag <laughs> celeb trainer. So that's the answer. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Mark. I think, again, it goes back to, and I, I hope there is some take-homes here, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm repeating myself a little bit here is, just about your standards, your values and what you bring on a day-to-day basis of consistent action. And, you know, they will find you in some capacity. I do believe the athletes have helped without doubt. As much as we say they're not on Instagram, they're yeah. not. But, some, you know, some of my Middle Eastern clients are. Some of them are younger and they are and they do see the athletes. They see what I put out there. They think, okay, you know, this is what I what I want. And I, I felt there's been a bit of a disconnect of what I offer in terms of the athletic population and their you know, for general population clients, we've spoken about this, you know, where we're, we're going to be launching the Everyday Athlete Programme moving forward. But um, I, I, yeah, I just, uh, the athletes have helped. Um, I'm not, I don't want to give away too much. Look, yes, we work with concierge companies, you know, we, a lot of it's through word of mouth. You have to build your reputation to be professional, be someone willing to trust um, and never be the guy chasing the money. I, look, I've, I've had incredible opportunities presented to, to myself and I would have been found out by now if I'd been in these situations and I hadn't been professional, I hadn't been respecting of the culture and the individual and where they're at and what they've achieved in their life, then I would have been out the door quicker than I got in it, you know. So I, there is no, like, unfortunately, there's no magic pill. There's no one answer. There, this is a, an accumulation of a multitude of different things done consistently over time. So, yes, get in with these companies, get in with your brand, build your network. Um, you have to be also in the, in the geographical location. That's what I realised, Mark. So as much as I flip back around to you saying, you know, you've never chased the money. You've never said, I want to work with this celebrity or an athlete or whatever. But I was aware that I hit my ceiling of earning potential where I was at the time. So I put myself in a, in a location that would potentially give me a greater opportunity to work with that type of individual. Though it wasn't like I was saying, I want to train a celeb. I don't. I want to train an individual who's willing to go all in with me because you better believe I'm all in with them. And when people, when people spend more for your time, do you see a difference in commitment? Yes. I think, again, goes back to my own standards as well. That, you know, they commit, but if I do see 
them losing what, what I'm looking for, I, I, I'll address that, Mark, to be honest, because I had this chat, funny enough, I had this chat on Monday, what are we on now? Wednesday. I had this chat on Monday night with a client, and I said, Jean, the difference here uh, is if you cancel the session, 80% of coaches would be buzzing because they'd have an hour of their own time and they'd get paid for that session. The difference is I'm pissed off at you for canceling that session because that's a session and an opportunity that we haven't, that, that's been taken away from us to reach our goals. I don't care about the money side of things there, you know? So I think that that's the difficulty. It's like, I would say an athlete doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I know that sounds silly and we've heard it a million times, but that's real, you know, and you can't cheat that. And that doesn't come with like one conversation where you you said it. That comes with what you do on a day-to-day basis. I personally live and breathe this month. This is my life. I rarely go out. I'm all in in everything I do. Everyone will tell you that. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't think you can buy that, really. Do you know what? Wrap up the whole of this episode into that last one minute that you've just said. And that's Dan Lawrence to a T. Because at the end of the day, when a client sees your passion, when you don't care about having an hour to sit in a coffee shop, but you care more about the missed opportunity for them to progress, you cancel them because you want to do this over training. That's up to you. But we've got a goal. You're paying me to get you from A to B. It's just delaying this. You know, that, that, that for me, you know, was so powerful. Because I think that, uh, you know, any coach listening to this right now, if, if a coaching session and the outcome means that much to you, your clients will see it. And I think, as you said, you know, passion, purpose, if your client sees that you, I mean, I've said this many times before, I don't know what your thoughts are, but, you know, if your client sees that you want their goal more than that, it's incredibly inspiring. And, and somebody said to me on a post once, what do you mean you want the result more than your client? I'm like, I do. Because ultimately, of course, they want to be in great shape. But if I don't, then I'm going to be going into that session 30, 40%. You know, and someone like you delivers at 120% and every single time. And I suppose any coach listening to this right now could just say to himself, can I honestly say that the level that Dan's delivering at, what percentage am I at? You know, and, and you've done this for 14 years. And there's no coincidence that coaches have been doing the same for 10 to 14 years or are char- charging more, working with high net worth people. And in the city of London, you and I both know there's a lot of trainers earning a lot of money, training incredibly successful people. And personal training is alive and kicking. It certainly is. And I think trainers need to see this in, as a career. And a little task then for the listeners would be Okay, let's flip it and say, if that did occur, what occurred to me, the conversation I had on Monday evening with my client, how would you feel? So if someone said to you, I'm going to cancel the session, are you going to be happy that they cancel because you've got an hour to browse social media or go to a coffee shop or do whatever you choose to do in that time? Or is it going to hurt you just a little bit? And it hasn't got to be, you know, getting you deep through the bones, but is it going to hurt you a little bit? Maybe ask yourself that question. If it doesn't, then maybe you need to reassess. Yeah. And, and, you know, reassess, you know, your standards and, and, and your values. Just before we finish, um, there's a few things that naturally the most successful people, I mean, success leads clues, right? 
you're a successful coach, very successful coach. What's a, what's a day like for Dan? Like, what, are, what are some of the things that somebody could listen as we come to the end of today's episode? What are, what are, the, what are some of the things that the listeners could take from what you do every day and go, wow, I, that's what he does. Well, that's, that's how his day is. I call it high performance habits, Mark. And uh, I know Brenda Boucher has, has the book uh, on this and it's, you know, it's well worth a read. But my day starts the evening before. I plan out everything I'm doing, whether it be on notes on my phone or a whiteboard. You know, it might sound sad to most, but that's what I have to do so I can optimize and maximize my day. So that's where it starts. I, you know, I wear an aura ring to track my sleep. I have my big rocks. I have my daily non-negotiables around sleep, training, nutrition. Um, and to come my mobility work just from a pre-existing spinal surgery that I have to do. That's just, just a non-negotiable to me. Another one is no Netflix before 7 p.m. because I know that my productivity is going to hit rock bottom if I do that. Yeah. And I actually, you know, I, I live by that. So, um, yeah, I think like training, you know, if I'm feeling a little bit uninspired, which occasionally can happen, occasionally, you know, generally speaking, I will attack my days. But I train every morning, um, bar probably one or two a week. So I train minimum five days a week. And that generally is the reset for me that gets me right and gets me you know ready to to fire up and, and get my day done everything's mapped out i you know if, if i was to show you well you you probably wouldn't laugh mark because i know you you get this but if i was to show most people what my day looks like and the notes that are in my phone of actionable tasks that i need to do they probably be like wow like what the hell are you you doing but i have to have that if it doesn't get written down it doesn't get done yeah. you know so um yeah everything's mapped out everything's structured and it's something I say to my clients, if one does not know to which port one is sailing, no wind is favorable. The same thing applies to me. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have a goal. You've got to have purpose. And I have purpose with every single day that I wake up and I go and execute. There's no way I'm dogged. Like, I'm not just treading water, you know? And, and, you know, I love those, you know, going through those lists of non-negotiables, very, very familiar. You know, I have a very thorough thought process and structure to my day. But you mentioned something, and I think that people who are all in, you know, they look at, you shouldn't, you know, don't have downtime, don't this, don't that. I mean, look, before half past eight, similar sort of thing for me, no Netflix, no TV. I watched, I watched the TV to listen to the news for 20 minutes in the morning, done. Nothing comes on for the rest of the day. And at half eight, then I will actually use that time to deload. I don't care whether I watch a fishing program, a farm, whatever it is, but it's my brain time to download. Your thoughts on having that downtime in the evening and actually not feeling guilty that you are watching something on TV. I think it's paramount, to be honest. Again, let's look at this on a macro level. I think take yourself out. It hasn't got to be, I could sit here now and say, no, you've got to be all in all the time. You know, it's got to be foot on the accelerator 24 seven. Absolutely not. You know, coaches hygiene is something that I've had to learn throughout the course of this journey when I was churning out a high volume of sessions back in the day. And I know a lot of listeners would definitely uh, be struggling with, you know, their, their own kind of, um, let's call it balance, I suppose. Yeah. Balance is fine. You know, you've been, got to think of this in a bigger picture. You've got to identify your non-negotiables, things that are going to help you. Because remember, when you're trying to deliver a high value service, if your own, you know, if you're not feeling good and energized in your own self, yeah. what's going to be negatively impacted? Well, ultimately the services. So my, my, what I'd probably say to people is have a, have a think about a few non-negotiables that mean a lot to you you know, and, and go and abide by them and execute those on a day-to-day -day basis because they should then feed into what you do on a daily basis with your work as well. Amazing. Well, Dan, 
time's flown by. You and I both knew it would be. Um, this is just one of those episodes that, you know, as a coach, I remember growing up, you know, in, in the early days of, of being a coach and listening to various, I mean, back in the day, Charles Poliquin used to have just audio recordings that you could buy off his website and he would just talk about different subjects. And I'd walk and listen to them on the old uh, MP3 player, as it was at the time. And uh, little things just, inspire you and, and nowadays we hear a lot of you know a lot of lot of deep marketing information and, and and less sometimes about the actual coaching application and what it takes to actually grow your reputation and and i, and I just find today um, so incredibly inspiring and i know everybody listening is going to take so much from this um but you know um you've got some incredible content that you share i'd like to everybody to 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 to, to know how to to reach you to see your work um, you're going to be launching uh, a program for you know, everyday athletes, as you said, um, soon. So the journey of you now reaching and helping a lot more people online is, is, is going to continue to grow. How do people reach you? How do, get, how do they find out more about you? Firstly, thanks for your time today, Mark. That's uh, an awesome chat. My social channels are at Perform365 and at Everyday Athlete 365 I also want to take a moment, Mark, to say thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing for the industry. It's, uh, it's much appreciated as well. Uh, well, it's uh, very much appreciated for you saying that. And it's, uh, you know, it's a privilege to have colleagues and friends such as yourself in the industry and, and, and have people doing what you're doing um, and also being able to give trainers the opportunity to learn um, from someone such as yourself. So it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, guys, um, you know, go and follow Dan, um, see what he does. Uh, very inspiring, especially the work that he does with his athletes and the programs he's going to be developing. And it's always important for you guys to keep your eyes on coaches and follow real coaches um, because that's, that's the real world. Um, so I hope you found today's episode helpful, guys. Please, as always, you know, tag Dan and I in your posts, get them on Insta stories. Um, let's help more personal trainers, more fitness professionals to you know, learn more, listen more, and have a fulfilling career. Um, guys, take care. And uh, Dan, thank you once again. Awesome. Thanks, Mark.